Welcome to the Sim Cafe, a podcast produced by the team at Innovative Sim Solutions, edited by Shelley Hauser. Join our host, Deb Tauber, as she sits down with subject matter experts from across the globe to reimagine clinical education and the use of simulation. So pour yourself a cup of relaxation, sit back, tune in, and learn something new from the Sim Cafe. Welcome to another episode of the Sim Cafe. Today, we are blessed to have Dr. Elliot. Dr. Elliot is the Assistant Dean of Immersive Learning for the School of Nursing at Purdue University Global. She holds a DNP in Educational Leadership, where her project focused on interprofessional simulation student outcomes. Dr. Elliot is a certified healthcare simulation educator and certified emergency nurse. She has academic leadership experience in immersive learning program design, implementation, and evaluation. She has also taught class in the lab, clinical, online, and in the classroom. In her free time, Dr. Elliot enjoys spending time with her husband and five children. <laughs> so welcome, Dr. Elliot. Would you like me to call you Abby or Dr. Elliot? Abby is fine. Okay, thank you. So we're, we're excited to be here today and we'll get into our first question, which is please share with us your story of how you got into simulation, how you stepped into it. Sure, yeah, thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to share my journey with others. So I think my journey starts out similar to a lot of other simulationists, um, to be honest, was, you know, I got a, a position of starting a new simulation skills lab for nursing, and they had purchased the mannequins, which was nice, right? We actually had them, but no, because they heard these were a good thing to have. <laughs> so no one um, had really run them or got them started or knew how to do that at the organization. And so I started, you know, reading the manuals they came with, playing with equipment, Google searches, right? And I thought, I need more development on these things and, and how to make them work. And then how do you use them in the class and all of those things. And so I searched my area uh, to say, is there a group around here that, that has done this? And I was very lucky to find an interprofessional group um, that was starting with simulation and med schools, respiratory therapy programs, community colleges, and they were all collaborating and working together to figure this thing out. Uh, and so we, we partnered together to do that. I also looked out to like Inaxel, Society for Simulation and Healthcare, some of the um, mannequin companies that were out there that had some support uh, for educators. And so I, I was really thankful that my start in simulation came from a lens of interprofessional education because it became more than me just training nurses on the mannequins, but then it was about this big picture of now the nurses get, you know, some of their basics and let's bring them all together with the other professions. And so it really opened my mind to what simulation could be and what it could do beyond just training those skills that one profession might need. Abby, who were the people in the group? Was it a formalized group or was it just a, is it an alliance now? Is it a, do you still meet with these people? 
Yeah, so it was um, it was an alliance that was kind of came out of a local medical school, and so it was started by a physician um, faculty member at that medical school. But then it encompassed, I mean, everyone in our region, the South Central Kansas is where I started region, and the group is still together. It's not as formalized, I don't believe, but since I, um, you know, my education purview now is more across the nation and at Purdue Global and what we do with simulation. So I have not um, still been a big part of that group. I'm, I mean, obviously it's uh, near and dear to my heart. And so anything that they need, I'm always like, please reach out and let me, let me be a part of, of however I can help because you helped me so much in my journey. I'd love to help others. And so I've worked with a lot of educator students or people that aspire to become simulation educators. And it's really awesome to be able to look back and see some of them now taking simulation director positions and, um, you know, really moving up or presenting at conferences. And I'm like, that's awesome that I was able to give back to them as that group had given to me. Right. No, it's it's a mentor-mentee relationship with people who are just getting into simulation. Excellent, excellent. Uh, I know I had Lee, who's one of your directors of a sim center at one of your locations, physical locations, was one of my nursing students. Uh, I think I actually pinned her. So she, she, um, you know, she was trained at, at where I was at. And uh, yeah, it is a lot of mentoring and simulation, simulationists in general just want to give back. It's almost like, you know, sharing it, your, your beliefs with like-minded people. All right, uh, I'm going to ask you my next question, which is, tell me about your favorite simulation story or most impactful. Yeah, so I have a couple of stories. I think one of them is, like I said, my start in interprofessional simulation and education and not really knowing. I wasn't trained that way, you know, uh, when I went to nursing school and not, not knowing what that entailed. What did that look like? And so being able to see all of these professions come together and really that pre-briefing and debriefing were the powerful pieces for me because they get to learn about each other and learn about each other's professions. And so them not knowing what really does a nurse do? You know, do you just take the orders and, and do them? What is a part of your role? Um, another big piece of that is we had dental hygiene students that also became a part. And and for me, learning about their profession, you know, as a faculty and not fully, I knew they cleaned my teeth, right? But I didn't know their scope of, of work. And so they're able to run a simulation where we had a patient that had an infection in their leg. And it was actually the call out from the dental hygiene student that said, wow, this infection is affecting this and this and this in their body and their labs. And what do we, you know, what can we do to take care of that? And I thought, wow, they understand infection. Yes, they work in the mouth, but they have to understand the whole body. And so all of the students learning about each other and that, and then completing the, the simulation. And we would do kind of a three-phased approach throughout our day. And they were in small groups and in interprofessional groups. And so by the third group that completed that next step of that simulation, they were just like, 
up above here, maybe above practitioner level, because they had really built on each other as a team and learned how to communicate more effectively. And so they were just functioning like a well-oiled machine by the end of that simulation day. Uh, and then being able to debrief that too, and each profession say, wow, you really brought this to the table. Thank you for this. Or here's some other suggestions of how we could have done this better. So that's been really powerful or impactful to me, so much so that I believe interprofessional simulation should be completed at every level of learning. Even our practitioners, you know, should maintain competence in that on an annual, you know, basis at least so that we can have better communication because we know that's where a huge breakdown, you know, in our practicing world is. And so if we can do that better. No, I completely agree. And I, as far as your dental story, I find that I don't believe it's my belief that we don't have a dental school that has been accredited for by the Society for Simulation and Healthcare yet. However, I see that as a, a great opportunity. I remember when I was a nurse in the emergency department and we had a patient and the dentist had given Tallinn and Versed into the vein, just IV. This goes back, this goes back years, you know, 25, 30 years ago. And um, the patient came in, she was young, like 27 years old in full arrest. And, you know, we were unable to resuscitate her. But I mean, to think they do a lot of high risk, low frequency things in the dental chair and how is that team prepared, you know, with an airway to take care of them. So I think that's an opportunity for more simulation to be utilized. Definitely. I think all healthcare professionals can see where they connect or intersect because that was a great place where a handoff, you know, may, may or may not have helped with the outcome. So how could all these professions sort of work together, even though they don't work together, maybe on a day-to-day basis, but it does inform their practice. Um, They work together. My other story was about a student. This was probably one of the, one of my most impactful to my simulation career, but I had a, a master's in nursing educator student. And so she wanted to learn more about simulation. And she said, can I come and spend some hours with you in the sim lab and see how this works? And so she came and was an observer really to observe the whole process, the faculty pre-brief, the debrief, the scenario. And it happened to be on sepsis protocol for our students. And so um, she observed that and she's like, I learned so much about sepsis, right? So then I heard from her probably a month or so later after she had completed her rotation with me. And she said, I have to tell you something about, you know, the simulation that you taught. So she, she had a family member that got very ill um, and they were on um, in a medical surgical unit in the hospital and she went to visit them and she's like, Abby, I saw all these indicators of sepsis because I watched that simulation with you. And so I saw them and I was able to alert a rapid response for her, got her to the ICU and she ended up decompensating pretty quickly. But because we caught it, She actually got better and was able to go home, but she said she was very sick. Like we didn't know if she was going to make it. And she said, I am so glad at that point in time, I was there and I was there for that sepsis simulation. And so it actually led her into 
wanting to, you know, teach in simulation and do more in simulation because of that experience that she had. So that's so impactful because it saved a life. You know, we literally say simulation saves lives, but I think when it comes full circle back to you, it's like, yep, it sure does. And it, it saved a life here. No, you're 100% right. I love that story. And, you know, the observers can learn just as much as the actual participants because you're you're watching with an intention of what would I do? You're not watching it like this is a movie passively and you're going to, you know, see what happens at the end. You're thinking, what would I do if I was in this situation? Yeah, great, great story. And my next question is, where do you see the future of simulation going? If you, you know, do, what are your thoughts? A no, thank you. Yeah, I'm always kind of thinking about the future of simulation because I think as simulationists, we have to be ready, right, for the next thing, the next step. And so preparing whatever that is at our, our sim centers or in our programs. So one of them, I think that there's been an increase, you know, in the last several years in realism of simulation with technology. So using technology to do that, you'll see, you know, some of the vendors that are doing that. Some of us at our at our schools, at our programs and centers are doing that because we find pieces of technology we can add to the scenario. So I think that because of that, more and more programs, centers are going to have to make sure they invest in simulation operations specialists or technology specialists if you will, or experts, because there's going to be so much technology, it's going to be hard for faculty and administration even to some point to manage that technology themselves. And so having on-site assistance or help with that, I think is going to be very important for the future. The other thing I think is going to be important for the future of simulation is with the increase of realism and technology, there's an increase in expense, right, for those things. And so if we need those things, we want those things in our programs, we may have to share our simulation collateral or equipment with other organizations. So I know there's already some great simulation partnerships out there between maybe an academic institution and a hospital system, maybe for rural uh, needs. There's mobile simulation units where the cost is, you know, shared across organizations. So I think we might need to see more of that so that the costs don't get way too much for our organizations to manage simulation. And then I think the other big piece of for future of simulation is XR, virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. We've seen a ton of that um, with the progression of the pandemic really propelling people to say, I need something else because I can't go to clinical or I can't do these things. And so with using that now, at least at our organization and in some of the literature, you see some pretty positive outcomes of using virtual reality, augmented reality, those kinds of things, not that they would replace clinical or replace our high fidelity simulation labs, but that they can really augment, if you will, or, or provide another layer of learning onto what we're already doing so that our students are even better, right? They're hitting those outcomes a little more easily because they have an extra tool or extra resource to do that. And at Purdue Global, we've really taken to working on creating some virtual reality experiences. And so how do we, we create them for our students, but how could these be helpful, you know, outside of Purdue Global that we could share with other organizations too? 
where it fits, you know, and where it makes sense for them to use. So I think we'll continue to see, see that develop and hopefully improve. I love that, Abby. I love that. And I think one of the things I heard you say is you're, you're doing things in collaboration with hospitals and local areas. And I think that's so important, especially as these hospitals continue to merge together. And, it, you know, you're, what do you, how, how do you have consistency among the caregivers? Are you, you know, is, is like a Starbucks where you've got, they're all the same, right? So I think that's that's a good thing, and especially your your learners. So your your nursing students uh, that are coming out of the program will already be acclimated to the healthcare system. So that's going to take that transition to practice and shorten it a bit, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So I think we we have four locations currently uh, that have sim labs across the country. And so looking at, like you said, how do you standardize that to make sense so that all the same outcomes are being met as others in the simulation world have probably had to navigate that a little bit and figuring out how do we standardize that? And then with a hospital partner, you know, that we try to have at each of our locations too. So how can we be mutually beneficial to both organizations and both of us meet our needs? And so we did do, Deb, a presentation um, on HealthySimulation.com. This has been a year, year and a half ago. So it's there, you know, if anyone wanted to hear about how are we standardizing simulation in our undergraduate nursing program across multiple locations, because it is, you know, a lot of moving parts, as others may know. Uh, And how do you do that? And how do you what are what are our challenges? You know, what were our opportunities uh, to make that successful? Right. No, I, I, I love it. And I, you also talked about the integration of VRA and, and, and deliberate about making decisions on what products we're going to start to use. And, and as simulationists, we're involved in the decision making because we don't want to have the industry get ahead of us. Right. Yes, I would agree. I think so. So I think that we also need to drive the process because I think the standard the standards for simulation, I mean, they do and can apply to virtual reality, to augmented reality and what we're using. So I would agree. And also the content, you know, is the content appropriate? That's important. Does it align with, you know, your accrediting bodies, whether that's sim accreditation, whether that's, you know, nursing, medicine, however you're accredited, because there are products that may be out there that were created in a silo from, from the technology side, and they may be awesome technology-wise, but then when you're looking at the content and the, the process, well, was a standardized you know tool used for this skill checkoff that was created or whatever it may be. So you're right that I think places need to look at that when you're exploring and making sure too that, yeah, that your simulation specialist, your simulation educator, administrator is included in, in that process as well. Because it's not always that you create your own either, because that can get very difficult, very expensive to do. And so you're shopping, you know, products that you may want to buy off the shelf. So make sure that an educator of sorts, a simulationist was involved in the process of building those is really important. Excellent. Excellent. I completely agree. Is there any, is there anything else that you'd like to leave our, our listeners with? I don't, Think so. I think just 
I want to say I want to be an advocate um, and continue to assist wherever I can. So uh, in, you know, our listeners, if you ever need some kind of support or you need help with your return on investment presentation that you are, whether that's VR, whether that's high fidelity, whether that's just, we want a simulation program. I think that I want to be of assistance. So if I can ever be a support, you know, to anyone, anywhere, please reach out and I would love to help. Thanks, Abby. Now, where could our listeners get a hold of you if they, they wanted something from you and they want to learn more about Purdue or any of the things that you spoke about today? Yeah, so uh, my email address would probably be the easiest. And it's just my first name dot my last name, Abby Elliott, at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, and that'll be in the show notes so that if some, you know, anybody wants to look, they can locate you in the show notes. Do you, are you on LinkedIn or social media in any way? Yes, also LinkedIn. I'm definitely out there. So reach out. I try to share things that may help others, other simulationists or other programs that are exploring different avenues of simulation. This has been a pleasure. I absolutely love your sweet little voice. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I appreciate very much this time and look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you and happy simulating. Thanks for joining us here at the Sim Cafe. We hope you enjoyed. Connect with us at www innovativesimsolutions.com and be sure to hit that like and subscribe button so you never miss an episode of the sim cafe